hear these words from the Apostle Paul, written to the church in Corinth. This is from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting this message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And these words from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Been thinking about an art project lately. So I got some clay. And I found two different kinds of clay in the cabinet. I found this one. I can do stuff with that. And I found this one. It's going to take more work. Hmm. Wonder which one you'd choose to work with. Anybody want to take a stab at working with this one? All right, there you go. I'm going to want to see something that you've produced by the end of the service, okay? All right. Joni, you want to take a stab with this one? Okay. I'm going to see something you produce at the end, okay? All right. Okay. Sorry, I don't have enough for all of you. We're concluding our summer Susical series today with the story of the Zacks, which we heard and saw dramatized earlier. The Zacks are lesser-known Seuss creations. They're found in one of the smaller stories within the Sneetches book. 
They're creatures that are full of certainty. Each Zax is certain of his path. He is absolutely certain that there is no other way to go. There's no room for east or west. There's only north and south. Both dig in. Both are ready to hold fast to their certainty for as long as it takes, even if it takes 59 years. As they stand there at a face-off, a funny thing happens. The world around them goes on. There are buildings and roads, even a bridge that goes over them. All around them, there is progress. But the Zacks and their certainty are left behind. They are forgotten, abandoned, likely the object of jokes and ridicule, or worse yet, just simply ignored, becoming invisible to the many, many people that pass by them every single day. The Zacks is a cautionary tale for us, and a tale that, I'm sorry to say, sounds all too familiar. Although some of Dr. Seuss's stories are over 50 years old, they still feel like fresh commentary to me on the divisions that we see in our world today. There's a decided lack of civility in our civil discourse, I would contend. This is perhaps most clearly seen in the political sphere, but unfortunately, I think it extends to all aspects of our society. Emotionalism and a desire to fulfill one's personal desires at all cost have supplanted courtesy and consideration. The ability to engage in meaningful rhetoric without anger or an emotional outburst is rare. Arguing has come to mean fighting rather than just simply engaging in a discussion about opposing ideas. Rather than hear and weigh ideas that might be counter to our own personal beliefs, we seem to seek to ensure that our point is the one that is heard loudly and often. So many people have become polarized in their beliefs that they're even unable to entertain a conversation with those with opposing views, much less a meaningful discussion. And when we've reached that point, our encounter changes from an engage of ideas to a conflict of wills. Image the Zacks. Who will outlast the other? Friends, I fear that we are slowly losing our ability and perhaps our desire to listen to and learn from one another. Time and again, Dr. Seuss encourages us to listen. Listen to the Lorax. He speaks for the trees. Listen to Horton, because a person's a person, no matter how small. Listen to the Who's down in Whoville as they cry out to be heard. Listen to Max, who suffered under the weight of the turtles. Or listen to a nun upon thar's sneech, who is ostracized 
because he doesn't have a star on his belly. Time and again, the prophets also implore us to listen, to listen to God's corrective instruction. Prophets like Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells us of the story of the people of Israel after the fall of Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed. The people have no place to worship. The Babylonians are in complete control, and the people of Israel have abandoned their worship of God in favor of worshiping other gods. In chapter 15, Jeremiah is commanded by God to go and watch at the potter's house. And what he sees is he sees a potter reworking a clay vessel, which hasn't turned out quite as the potter expected or as he desired it to be. And in that setting, Jeremiah begins to prophesy. Jeremiah's prophecy is direct and it's harsh. Stop worshiping other gods. Repent. Return to me, says God. But you see, the people are in a conflict of wills with God. The people will not step aside. When we create this wills conflict, whether it's with another person or whether it's with God, we're no longer interested in listening. We believe that winning means refusing to budge from our position, refusing to consider different perspectives or different information, and in conflicts of will, whether it's in communities or personally, we would rather follow our own plans, even, even if it means the world will go on without us, then we would step aside and appear to give in. In verse 12, the prophet Jeremiah speaks so clearly to our human nature. We will follow our own plans, say the people, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our own evil will. And then when the people lament that God is abandoning them and bringing judgment on them, Jeremiah says it's because they've gone after other gods. And as a consequence of their stubbornness, of their refusal to step aside, of their refusal to get disengaged from a will's conflict with God, they will go into exile. And then a few chapters later, Jeremiah describes the dramatic impact to the land that will happen as a consequence of their stubborn disobedience. It's as true for us as it was for the people of Israel, as it was for the Zacks. It's not our belief. It's not our conviction. It's not even our zeal that leads to our downfall and our demise. It's our stubbornness. We witness deepening divisions in our government between our elected officials and those who do not support them. We witness divisions between athletes and government officials, between members of the same political party on both sides of the aisle. We witness deep divides in our own denomination and in other denominations among those who disagree on issues of ordination, divestment, 
marriage. It's certainly not hard, and we don't have to look far to find shining examples of those who are stuck in their tracks, following their own paths, just like the Zacks. I am afraid that we have lost our way. As a culture, as human beings, and I believe that that has infiltrated the church. We've become confused, and we mistake stubbornness for standing up for what we believe. We've become embroiled in a conflict of wills, shouting our own opinions, which we believe are well-reasoned and thoroughly researched. We shout at the top of our lungs, whether it's face-to-face, in all caps, on social media, or out loud to the idiots on the television who obviously don't know what they're talking about. We've become like that hardened piece of clay. How's it going, Evelina? The nose broke. It's not going so good, is it? Not going so good. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. Jonah, how's it going? Good. Nice. I'm, I'm going to want you to bring those up to the communion table before the end of the service. So keep working on it. Okay, keep working on it. We've become like that hardened piece of clay. Stubborn. Resistant. Refusing to be molded or shaped or reformed. Despite good efforts. When we refuse to listen to God when we stubbornly hold on to our position for the sake of being right, when we get into a conflict of wills, we are the Zacks. We're stuck in our tracks in the prairie of Prax, and the world will build roads around us, and the world will move on. We're not going anywhere, and neither will our cause, our agenda, or our message. But, you might say, as Christians, aren't we called to stand up for our beliefs, for what we hold is true? Yes. But we must not confuse stubbornness with standing up. How do you know if you're standing for your beliefs or just being stubborn? How do you know if you're a Zach's? Are you anxious about losing ground? Losing your position? Or losing the argument? You might be a Zach's. Are you more interested in your position, your argument, your data, than you are in listening to the other person? You might be a Zach's. Do you find yourself using words like right and wrong, true and false? You might be a Zach's. Are you more interested in what than why? Do you focus more on information rather than the personal experiences of yourself or the other person that might lead you to think a certain way or hold a certain perspective? You might be a Zach's. 
the more anxious we become, the more we become obsessed with our own position, the more we use dualistic words like right and wrong, the more we distance ourselves from the human aspects of our life experiences that lead us to take the positions that we take, the more likely we are to become stuck, to refuse to step aside, and to become like the Zacks. What do you stand for? What does Palms stand for? I'd like to hear from you. If you had to say in one word, what does Palms stand for? What would you say? Love. Community. Togetherness. Outreach, compassion, faith, joy, family, nourishment. In just a moment, we'll welcome new disciples in our midst. And one of the questions that I always ask our new disciples is, what one word would you use to describe palms? And I ask them to share that with the session, and I ask our session members to answer the same question. Some of the words we heard today were welcoming, compassionate, open, family, home, caring, this is why we post on Facebook. This is why we share the good news of Palms. This is why we are here. What do you stand for? I believe one of the things Palms stands for can be found clearly in the scriptures from the New Testament that were read today. 2 Corinthians 5, and again in Colossians. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors of reconciliation for Christ. The Greek word that's used there for reconciliation is used to describe the change in a state of a relationship from enmity to amity. Or friendship. A broken or interrupted relationship is restored because one or both of the parties has changed from being a barrier to being a bridge. Reconciliation begins when we find ourselves in a conflict of wills and we make a conscious choice to be a bridge. Reconciliation begins when we uncross our arms, soften our face, and our tone of voice. Reconciliation begins when we ask the other person, tell me why you think that. What personal experiences have you had that have led you to your position? Reconciliation begins when we take one small step 
to the side. Now, this doesn't mean that we step down, step back, or step out of the relationship, because that, too, is a barrier. But standing for reconciliation is no guarantee that your effort at reconciliation will be met with similar efforts on the other side, because, friends, that ain't our job. That's God's job. So, are we ready to show our artistic endeavors? Bring them on up. Let's put them on the communion table. Yeah. So, did you make any progress, Evelina? The other part of the nose fell off. Nice, Jonah. Thank you. Very good. Palms stands for reconciliation. When disciples commit to being a part of this community, as our disciples will in just a moment, they're committing to be bridge builders, ambassadors for reconciliation in the world. By being part of this community, you, you commit to being ambassadors for reconciliation in the world. You stand for amity, not enmity. And seeing our tendency to stubbornness is the first step in the work of reconciliation. Am I a Zax? Amen. <laughs>